Hello, and welcome back to the Blaze Experience once again. You are joining us for episode 93 today, and as always, I am your host, Derek. I would like to welcome you to our first episode of a game that I've really been enjoying uh, lately. This game is called We the Revolution. It's a game that's set in the French Revolution, and it's a small little indie game, but I've been enjoying it a ton lately, and it's actually my favorite game of uh, 2019 so far, so... I figured uh, we'd do podcasting on the kind of whole scope of the game and kind of introduce people to it if you haven't heard of it before. But before that, of course, we have some news at the top of the show here. I want to say that our next podcast is likely going to be a return to Dead by Daylight. We haven't talked about Dead by Daylight in a little bit, so we're going to do a uh, podcast about that. We also have a uh, recap of Undead Trials 4 coming at some point. I've been trying to get that uh, set up. That was the State of Decay competition where um, my team, the Masochists, actually ended up winning. And I've been trying to get a uh, recap of that set up. The schedules haven't been working out properly, so um, hopefully you see that coming to your feed soon as well. Our next stream, however, is going to be on Sunday, 12 p.m. to 4 p.m. Eastern Time. That's going to be uh, Borderlands 2. We're going to play the Captain Scarlet DLC. And I'm also going to finally reveal who I'm playing for Borderlands 3. So um, that's going to be tomorrow at the point that you're hearing this. On Monday from 12 to 4 Eastern, we're going to play Metro Exodus. That is our Game Pass game of the month, so you can look forward to that as well. And then on Tuesday, 12 to 4 Eastern, is going to be some more Daybreak in State of Decay 2. Uh, I try to do some Daybreak streams in State of Decay fairly frequently. Um, I haven't done one in a while, so that's kind of where we're jumping back into it. I usually do one Daybreak stream in State of Decay every, like, four or five weeks. You know, just kind of... Um, get back into it, you know, have some fun with it, so I feel like it's time for that. And last but certainly not least, a um, couple of things over my content break. You may have noticed I was away for a little bit uh, on a content break. Um, I had a nice vacation with my family. Over that break, I did a couple of things behind the scenes. I um, got full ownership of my logo. I was leasing it. Now I uh, fully own that. I also um, got a domain for us to have a website in the future. We don't have one yet, but um, I at least own the domain now, so we can have a website in the future. And, of course, we also have merch now. Um, so you have t-shirts, there's pillows, stickers, and a bunch of different other items. So definitely uh, check out our merch store. That's going to be teespring.com slash stores slash blaze experience. So that's T-E-E S-P-R-I-N-G dot com slash stores slash Blaze Experience, which is B-L-A-I-S-E-X-P-E-R-I-E-N-C-E. So definitely check out that merch store and, um, you know, let me know what you think of it. Let me know if you uh, end up buying any items or anything like that. But I would definitely appreciate people checking that out and uh, buying some merch forms. But that being said, um, let's get into the game. So basically I have this podcast kind of broken up into two areas. We're going to talk some spoiler-free mechanics and discussion, um, kind of like we usually do with the intro podcast, but I'm also going to have, at the very end, a very small uh, spoiler-filled section. It's not going to be too long, but um, I'm going to talk about some of the spoilers of what happens in the storyline, just in case anyone wants to play the game and they don't want to hear those. So I will give you a warning when we get to the uh, spoiler-filled section of Act 1. This is going to be an Act 1 podcast of the game. There's three acts of the game. So um, I will commit to doing an Act 2 and an Act 3 podcast at some point. So 
Uh, you will hear Act 2 and Act 3 of this game on the podcast. So basically, with the Revolution, it's set in the French Revolution, and it's developed by Polyslash, and it's published by Clavator. And I want to thank Clavator again, because they actually gave me a code to play this game. I um, went through their process and requested a code, that way I could play this, and they were nice enough to grant me a code, so um, I've been streaming the game, I'm now podcasting about it, so I definitely appreciate them sending me a code to play the game. So thank you again, Clavator, for that. It's a game that um, I noticed when I was looking through Xbox games. I was, you know, searching the store one day. I'm like, hmm, you know, what's what's in the store today? I was kind of searching through. I'm like, oh wow, this this game looks really interesting. And this game sounds like something I'd really want to play. And basically, this game involves you being a tribunal judge in the French Revolution. So you're kind of, you know, going through judging cases and kind of deciding what uh, people's fate should be. The game is both a strategy game while also being a storytelling game that has a lot of emotion to it. So uh, there's a lot of emotion involved in this game, and it tells a story throughout the game. But there's also a lot of strategy involved, too, because you really have to... Um, it has like a lot of elements of a management game, because you really have to like manage um, a lot of different factors and kind of strategically plan out how you're going to make your course. And essentially, your ultimate goal is to advance in the political ladder, so... Basically, you start on, like, the bottom rung of the political ladder as this, you know, lowly tribunal judge. And you have to try and rise to the top of the ladder and become, like, the most influential person in Paris. Or in uh, all of France, I guess. So, basically, throughout the game, you have to try and, you know, take down your political rivals. But um, at the very start of the game, though, it starts out, you know, fairly slow and easy where you don't have to, like, worry about any of that. And it's just kind of, you know, judging trials at the start of the game because... Basically, um, what I will say is the game does a great job breaking you in slowly, and I really love the pacing of the game because there's a lot of different mechanics in this game, and the game does a great job of pacing it out because there's a lot of things I'm going to talk about later that you don't start the game with, and if you started the game with all these mechanics at once, it would just turn a lot of people off because it would be too overwhelming. Like, there's so much involved in this game, there's so much depth to it that... It would really be overwhelming if you started the game with all that things. So definitely props to uh, Polyslash for how they you know kind of set that up because basically you just start with trials and that's all you start with pretty much and that's in family relations and that's pretty much all you start with. But then as you go across the game, uh, you introduce other things. You introduce this political game board. You introduce things like intrigues and all this stuff gets introduced throughout the game and. It kind of um, evolves from there. So I think I've pretty much seen uh, through Act 1 all the mechanics the game has to offer. But, you know, I might be throwing a curveball in Act 2 or 3. We'll see. But I will also say that the art style is amazing, and so is the voice acting, too. Um, basically, you get these little cutscenes, and it's not a cutscene in the traditional sense of, you know, a video cutscene. Basically, the cutscenes in this game are little uh graphical art pictures that kind of you know show up in order so you'll have your screen and one graphical picture will show up in the top left another picture will show up next to it another picture will show up after that on the bottom left and it kind of shows you a story through these pictures and these graphical pictures are awesome and then along with the pictures you get a uh, great voice at overacting that kind of describe what's happening in these pictures and what the emotion is and the voice acting is definitely top-notch. Um, I don't know who they got to do the voice acting for this, but 
it's really top notch, and you really feel a sense of emotion when you uh, play the game. Like even the opening scene of the game, the opening scene is so powerful with the voice acting, and it just really sets the stage for this game because basically it's in the French Revolution, and you know it's kind of like that political landscape of uncertainty where you don't really know if you're going to be safe, and this game kind of gives you that feel where you know no one is really too safe, and the game definitely gives you that feel as you go throughout it because people that are innocent, you know, get sent to the guillotine. And people that are guilty get set free. So it really, you know, plays on your emotions when you have to set people free that are in it or guilty. And then you have to, you know, cut the head off of people that are actually innocent. So, like, I remember um, without getting too much into detail of the storyline, in towards the end of Act 1, there's one character that I really, really didn't want to send to the guillotine. And I really felt bad for this character, and I definitely understood their situation. But at the same time, like, I'm trying to advance politically in France, and basically, if I would have set this person free, that would have set me back a ton in the game. And I didn't want to get set back a ton in the game, so unfortunately, for my own personal gain, I had to actually send it to the game. And it's it really had that emotional feel because it felt so emotional for me. I'm like, oh man, I I really don't want to send this person to guillotine. Like, this person doesn't deserve that. But at the same time, if I didn't do that, then I'm basically screwing myself over. So I had to put myself, you know, before this person, and it, it really you know tugged at your heartstrings like that. So this game definitely has that aspect to it. But as I said, the game does start out with having to do trials in court. So Basically, um, how the court trials work is you are at your judge's bench. You have a case file in front of you, which you have to read and find out about your case. So the case file, um, it starts out with really short ones, I think one-page long cases. And then you get to uh, two-page cases. I don't think I've had any three-page cases yet. But um, occasionally you have like a couple like little evidence documents that you know have a letter that someone wrote to someone else. Um, but for the most part, it's just a two-page case. And... Basically, you just read through the text, and you find out the details of the case. You know, it'll be, uh, oh, this guy, you know, robbed somebody, or this person, you know, assaulted somebody. Or it'll be a random assortment of cases. There are some um, high-profile cases, I would say, that are always going to be there, but there's also some random ones, too. So, basically, um, when I get into the spoiler section, I'll talk about some of the more high-profile ones a little bit, but... For the most part, it's just going to be a random assortment where you have um, different cases that you have to go through. And then early on in the game, you have the option to send somebody to prison or acquit them of their crime and set them free. That's what you have as your very early options. But then, um, I think around day six-ish in the game, somewhere around that area, is when you actually have the option of the guillotine come into play. And basically, the guillotine allows you to chop somebody's head off. So then you have three options where you can either send someone to the guillotine to chop their head off, you can send them to prison, or you can acquit them. But then later in Act 1, uh, the prison option actually goes away, so you don't have that middle road anymore. So it becomes either you set the person free, or you chop their head off. And that really has high stakes feel to it, because once that prison option goes away, it's like, well, either this person's going to be set free and nothing's happening to them, or I'm chopping their head off. Like, there's no in-between middle ground. So 
once that prison option goes away, it, it's really uh, more stressful for you. But fairly early on to the game, you actually get this other part of the trial called reports. And this part of the trial is like a court report that you're filling out about the case. And it has little questions for you. Um, well, oftentimes, it'll be a couple of the questions will often be, did this person admit to doing the crime? You just say yes or no. Uh, another common question is, was this act counter-revolutionary in nature? You just say yes or no, whether it was counter-revolutionary. And then it'll have one or two specific uh, court questions about that case. It'll be like, um, you know, this person was given money. What did they use the money for? And you have to pick from three options what they actually use the money for. And you can ask your mentor to answer the question for you for influence, but you learn early on that influence is very important and it's not really worth wasting influence a ton on those questions because influence is your life bread in the game and basically influence is how you get things done in a timely fashion. So um, you start the game with three influence and you can kind of gradually increase that. Like at the point I'm at in the game now, I actually start each day with seven influence, unless I lose a territory in the game board, but we'll talk about it later. But basically, you have this influence you use throughout the entire day. So that's in court, and it's also in your activities outside of court. And this influence allows you to get things done, like, um, you know, maybe convincing someone to be your ally for a couple of influence, or um, getting political immunity on the game board from the uh, Revolutionary Patrol, for example. Um, you have the option to keep trying to get more questions if you uh, mess up the question part of the trial. So that there's a bunch of different things that you can spend influence on, and as the game progresses, the amount of things you can spend influence on increase. But the reports aren't too, too important, I would say. Um, basically, I think there's a negative effect if you do really badly on the ports. But if you do really well, then I think there's a positive effect for you. So you want to try and do as well as possible. But if you get like a question or two wrong, it's not the end of the world. So I wouldn't suggest um, using influence on questions unless you really have influence burned. You have other for. But basically, use the clues in the case file to unlock questions in court to ask the defendant or call a witness. So how this works is you go to click on the part that asks questions and a wheel comes up it'll have two sections it'll have an inner section and an outer section of the wheel on the outer section are um items related to the case it'll say like um you know a bloody knife or um this person's sister it'll have like random things that are connected to whatever case you're doing and then you have to match those to the inner part of the wheel where it says like this was the motive this was uh, evidence in the case. This was counter-revolutionary. Or I'll say, um, this was an accusation. And you have to basically pick things from the outer wheel and decide whether they match to the inner wheel. So, like, for example, um, one of the things in the outside wheel might be, like, to protect the monarchy. Protect, protecting the monarchy. And protecting the monarchy could have been the motive of the person that's the defendant. So that might match up with that. Or um, let's say you get a letter that's evidence. That letter is probably going to match with evidence. So it's usually um, fairly intuitive to figure out, but I will say that there's some uh, cases that are definitely have been harder than others. Like, I've only had two really bad cases, but 
Uh, I had one case where I only got three out of eight questions unlocked, and I had another case where I only got, like, I think four out of eight unlocked. And I think every case besides those two, I unlocked every question, but I had two really bad ones where it was very ambiguous uh, what matches where. Because if you get some of those ambiguous ones, a lot of the things in the outer ring seem like they make sense for pretty much everything in the inner ring. So, like, it seems like, okay, well, this could be a motive, this could be an accusation, this could be, you know, course of events, like, this could be a lot of things. So, um, sometimes you get those cases, so it is a little bit difficult and challenging sometimes. But other times, it's, you know, super easy. It's like, okay, this is really intuitive, this makes sense, this matches here, this matches here, boom, we're done. And the whole time you're doing all of this, though, you have to make sure you keep up your relations with the different factions and work on your reputation. So, basically, reputation, it's um, how everyone sees you in the game. And if you higher the reputation you have, the uh, more you can usually get done in the game. And basically, your relations with the factions, it starts the game with the common folk and the revolutionaries. Later in the game, you have a third faction that come into play called the aristocrats. And you also have your family in play as well. So, basically, uh, in Act 1, those are the four factions you're dealing with. Family's not really a faction, but um, your family is still people you don't want to mess disappoint, I guess. So, basically, it'll show you, okay, if you acquit this person, it'll make the revolutionaries really happy, but the common folk will be upset at you. And then it'll say, um, if you send this person to prison... The common folk will be happy, but the revolutionaries will be upset. So you really have to balance things and try to work around that. Because if your relations with any one faction fall below the... There's like a line in the game, and below that line is like a skull symbol. If your relations with any faction fall below that line, then you will actually get lynched and killed by a mob of people. So basically you lose the game. So you need to make sure that you stay above that. and uh, ultimately, you want to try and stay, you know, with very high relations with everyone. Which, where I'm at, at the end of GAT 1, is I have, um, very high relations with, um, I think the common folk. I have very high relations with the revolutionaries, and I have high relations with the aristocrats. So I have pretty decent relations with all three, but, um, the aristocrats is a little bit lower. And basically what you have to do is just try and balance them, and that's where, you know, the emotional uh, tug at your heartstrings definitely comes into play, because what happens is you might get a case where you really think the person's guilty, you know, you want to send this person to guillotine and chop their head off, but if you do that, then the faction that you're already lowest with in relations, they will actually get more mad at you. So you have to really decide, like, well, if I'm already low with this faction anyways... I don't want to go even lower with them, so I guess I have to quit this person even though I want to send them to the guillotine because if I quit this person, my lowest faction actually raises in relation. So you really have to balance that. And you learn early in the game that it's not so much about doing what's just and doing what is good. It's more about trying to advance your own political agenda. And in that sense, you really get the proper feel of the French Revolution because that's kind of what the French Revolution was, you know, is everyone trying to advance their own political agenda under this disguise of, you know, this revolution. Or at least, you know, that's kind of what the game gives you for a feel, anyways. And I don't pretend to be, like, a huge uh, story in the French Revolution, so, you know, hopefully um, that's 
fairly well in line with that. I know a little bit about it, but I'm not like a huge historian. So, but it is cool history though to, um, you know, examine. And this game does a great job at examining that history and, you know, kind of giving you the feel of what it was like to be there because you're this tribunal judge and basically you're making life and death decisions for people. And those life and death decisions also influence, you know, your political game. But at the same time, it's not just about political game because if you piss off the wrong faction enough, then that'll just kill you. So you're fighting for your own life as well. You know, while you might not want to send, you know, George the Baker to the guillotine, George the Baker might have to go to the guillotine because, you know, George the Baker is the one that's like, by killing him, he's keeping you alive because by killing him, you might actually gain relations with this faction that was going to kill you. So it, it really has that tough feel to it where, you know, you're playing with people's lives at the same time you don't really want to be doing that. Like, you, you want to be doing what's right, and you want to be doing what's just, but the only way you can actually get by yourself is by playing with these people's lives and, you know, treating it like a trivial thing when it's not a trivial thing at all. And it really makes it uh, tough emotionally to, you know, handle that as you go through the game. Like like I said earlier in the podcast, um, there was this one point in... Late in Act 1, I, I won't say uh, who it was until after, but uh, there's this one point late in Act 1 where I really, really, really did not want to send this person to the guillotine. Like, I totally understood their situation. They technically committed a crime, but I completely understood where they're coming from, and I would rather acquit them. But um, I had to send them to the guillotine because I had to protect my own interests, and it, it really felt rough. But, you know, that's kind of the um, the trial situation in the game. There is this other thing, these little envelopes that come up. Um, it happens more early in the game where it's like little uh, situations that you have to decide what you want to do. And those situations impact you later in the game by giving you bonuses or giving you negative effects based on what you chose. But there are these little envelopes that come up um, throughout Act 1. It's more so early in the game. Um, I only had, late in Act 1, I only had one envelope come up where you have to like, open the envelope, but... That envelope was basically just people um, giving me news about something. I won't say what, because I don't want to put this spoiler session yet. But basically, there's a lot of other areas of the game, too. And as I said, um, these other areas of the game, they get introduced sporadically in the game. Because you start out with just two really areas of the game at the beginning of the game. You start out with trials, and you also start out with your family relations at night. So basically, after you're done with your trials during the day... You have like your night game, your kind of uh, night party, and the family relations portion. This is where you go home and you have to decide what you want to do with your family for that night. So your family consists of your wife, your older son Bernard, your younger son, and then your father. So your father uh, still lives with you guys as well, and basically you have to try and manage how they view. Your younger son is the most important one at the start of the game because he's the one that kind of like, uh, if he's happy, then he makes the rest of your family a little bit more happy. So the younger son is the one that you want to uh, try to impress the most. And basically, each action you choose, it'll say whether it um, makes one member of your family happy or makes another one happy. But what happens is there's no action that actually makes all four family members happy. So it's always going to be 
you know, if I do this action, my two sons will be happy, but uh, my father and my wife will be really mad at me. Or it'll be, you know, if I do this action, my father's going to be happy, my older son won't care, and then my younger son's going to be pissed off. You know, it'll be things like that where you have to really juggle it. And I did manage to get a couple times throughout Act 1 where all four family members were happy with me. It's not easy to do because you have to kind of juggle things from day to day and kind of increase one, decrease another. Like, it's really hard to juggle, but there were a few times where I did manage to get um, all four family members happy with me. And I've only had, I think, one time where one person was uh, angry with me. I think that was my father at one point. So I think my father at one point went low enough where he was angry at me, but I got him back up. Basically, it's either they're happy with you, they're kind of indifferent towards you, or they're mad at you. And usually, you're going to be more in the indifferent range. If you get to the good range where they're happy with you, you get a positive bonus in your next day in court. If you have the, uh, where they're mad at you, then you actually get a negative bonus in court. So, you have to try and manage that and hopefully get as many uh, bonuses as possible. And these bonuses usually mean that you'll get extra uh, relations with some of the factions or maybe some extra reputation, things like that. But basically, the um, actions you can choose to do with your family, they range from, you know, spending time with your grandfather to um, going to a Viola concert with your older son and family or um, going for an evening walk. Or, um, you can actually prepare for the tomorrow's trial, which makes all of your family members upset. Um, later in the game, you can actually work on construction of a statue, which uh, will make everyone upset. But there's also special family actions that you can um, pay influence for later in the game, and they are kind of like outside-the-box things that you can do, but um, it kind of has the same appeal to it, where you're making some family members upset and some happy. And you just basically have to manage that. So The real gist of this is... If you manage this properly, you get more bonuses in court. If you don't manage it properly, you get negative bonuses. And um, you definitely want those bonuses because ultimately, if you piss off the wrong faction enough, then you could die and lose the game. That's ultimately where it comes to play. Now, I will say there are some story-based um actions at night that basically lock you in. So what I mean by that is when you get to the family portion where you have to decide what action you're t taking for the night, based on your previous actions earlier in the day or in the previous day, sometimes there's story actions that force you to do a certain thing. Like, um, for example, if you tell a guy you're going to go gambling with him, then you're kind of forced into that and you don't really have a choice anymore. And basically that's what you end up doing. And um, usually these story-based actions, usually they make the entire family mad because you're doing a story-based action where you're going somewhere else instead of spending time with the family. So usually those are actions that bring the entire family down. But uh, you can usually, if you're doing a decent job, you can get them back up afterwards the next day. And the last thing I'll say about the family portion is that your actions in court do affect family as well. So, for example, if the family wants you to quit somebody and you quit them, then it'll have a positive bonus on your family members. But say the family wants you to uh, behead someone and you end up quitting that person, that's going to piss your family off. And you actually will have uh, lost relations with your family once you get to the family portion. Keep that in mind as well.
But after this, the next thing that comes into the game, basically, is the political game board. So the political game board, at first, it's very, very confusing. And um, I definitely, that's why I definitely applaud Polyslash for putting this in a little bit later in the game, because it's super, super confusing for the first few times you see it. You don't really know what you're doing. You don't know what's going on. You have a couple different agents, basically. It's similar to like a risk style game board, but it's um more political than risk. And you're kind of taking over territories, but you're taking over territories with your political influence. So you have a couple different figures. You have a spy. A spy can kind of um lure enemy agents or you know kind of take over an area. You have a diplomat, they help you gain influence over an area, or um kind of calm the crowd down or take over an area. And then you have a bruiser, a bruiser can kind of take over an area, and they can beat up enemy agents. So Basically, those are your three people, and the object of the political game board is essentially to take over Paris, take over the whole of Paris. So, um, there's a bunch of different territories in Paris. Each territory you take over, you get a bonus for. Um, for example, one territory could have plus two influence, which means that you get an extra two influence every time you start the next day, which that's why I'm currently at seven influence, because I have enough uh, bonuses that I have from the political game board that I'm at seven influence per day, so that's kind of nice. Some other um, things you have is you have plus percentage for your statue construction. And this might sound weird, like statue construction, what, what statue? Well, basically you have like a home territory, and in your home territory, you can go to your home territory and you're building a statue. So this statue is something that you're trying to build, and as the statue gets built, you get to take over other buildings in your home territory. So, um, basically, you have your family home to start. You also have a political salon. You also have a hideout. And you have a printing house. And basically, these uh, different buildings, they have other effects to help you out. The printing house, it allows actions against the Revolutionary Patrol and the Muscadians. The uh, hideout, that will allow you to have better... Um, Options and success with your agents throughout Paris. And then the political salon, that allows you some kind of bonus in the trial. So far, I've taken over the uh, printing house and the hideout. I haven't taken over the political salon yet, so I can't speak to that. But um, so far, I don't know what's a ton of changes with those. I haven't got to use the actions against the Revolutionary Patrol yet because I haven't seen them since I got that building. But the next time I see them, I'm going to try that out. Uh, I will say the hideouts, it does give you a cool option where you can actually grant your people immunity for six influence against the Revolutionary Patrol, so that is kind of nice, and I did use that once to grant them immunity. Because basically the Revolutionary Patrol, if they find your agents, they arrest your agents, and then you have to try and um, convince the patrol to let them go. So that's kind of political game board. You basically just try to take over Paris, uh, slowly but surely. You have to beat up enemy agents. You have to, you know, take over new territories and things like that. Um, another aspect of the game is, which I've only seen once based on my play, playthrough. I think I could have seen it multiple times if I played a different style, but I didn't focus on this much. But this is a dice game. And I only tried the dice game once against, um, I almost say who, because I don't spoil anything, but I only tried the dice game once, and basically the dice game is sort of like a drinking dice game. Think of it like a uh, rudimentary game of Yahtzee. 
where in Yahtzee you have all these different tasks you're trying to do with your dice. You're trying to, you know, get a small straight. You're trying to, uh, you know, get three of a kind, whatever. Basically, this game, the higher the score of your dice, you know, if you roll like a bunch of sixes, that's great. And you score a lot of points. Um, the more dice you roll of the same kind, it helps you out with your score. And the higher the numbers you roll, it helps you out with your score. And you get three re-rolls per, um, dice game. You can actually, um, spend influence though to force people to drink. So, if you force your opponent to drink, then they get a little bit more careless and they actually do worse at the dice game. And if you take a drink, then I think it, um, helps you somehow. I think it gives you like an extra reroll if you, uh, take a drink. So, cause, um, your opponent's like, you know, weary and they're not really paying attention, so you can get extra rerolls without them noticing. But, Basically, the game is pretty self-explanatory. Um, you just keep rolling the dice. The highest score at the end wins. And if you are the winner, then you gain a lot of reputation in the game. If you are the loser, then you lose a lot of reputation. So that's pretty much the gist of it. Um, I only played this one time. There are multiple opportunities throughout the game to play this game. I just uh, didn't take most of those opportunities. But at one point in the game, I was forced into an opportunity to play it, and that's where I first saw it. I did mention earlier, uh, persuading someone or convincing them. There is this aspect of the game that has speeches, uh, where basically if you choose to guillotine someone, then you have the choice that you can make a speech before you do that. In this speech, the goal is to try and rally the crowd on your side, and if you do that successfully, then you gain bonuses from the crowd for the next day. But if you do this, uh, Uneffectively, and you kind of piss the crowd off, then you get actually get a negative effect. And uh, with convincing or persuading someone, basically you're trying to choose the right options in order to get them on your side and convince them what you want them to do. Now, I will say this speeches slash like convincing system it's all the same system. I will say this system probably could use a little bit of fine tuning. It's um it's a system that you get used to throughout the game. Like for example, the political game board, at first you're so confused with that, but then it, you kind of catch on to it as you go along. It's actually kind of fun at this point. The speeches and convincing system, I will say it's the same thing. It's very very confusing at the start, and then you kind of start to catch on. I'm at the point now where I'm starting to finally catch on to it at the end of Act One, but I'm not at the point yet where I'm loving the uh like speeches and persuasion system. I definitely love the political game board at this point, but the speeches and persuasion system, I'm growing, you know, more fond of it. And I think by the end of the game, I will love and enjoy it. But I think it's one of those things that's more of an acquired taste as you go throughout the game. And the reason why is because each person you're trying to convince somebody, like let's say um, you have a guy that you're trying to convince to do something for you. This guy will have on the left-hand side, it'll say what his emotions are towards a certain subject. So, a subject might be like, who did this? And then the next subject will be, why did they do it? it? Basically, you're asking them different questions, and on the left-hand side, it says how they feel about that question. So it might say they're bullheaded about that question. It might say they have no opinion on that question. It might say uh, they're withdrawn on that question. It might say they are carefree on that question. So based on that, that tells you what kind of emotion they have towards that question. And then you have to decide what kind of approach you take towards asking that question. Do you ask that question in an aggressive manner? 
Do you ask that question in a manipulative manner? Do you ask that question in a carelessness manner? Or do you ask that question in a matter of humility? Those are your four options. You have humility, carelessness, aggressive, and manipulation. And basically, those are the choices you have. You have to try and match properly the emotion that they have with the proper approach to the speech. And it's super confusing at first because it's really hard to tell, well, if somebody's withdrawn, what kind of approach do you take towards somebody withdrawn? Like, well, you probably don't take an aggressive approach with. I mean, which of the options do you really think? Like, do you take a careless approach? Like, do you take a humility approach? I mean, it's kind of hard to determine at first. It's like, well, it feels like you're shooting in the dark at first. So, I think that, and don't get me wrong, I don't know how you would do this, and definitely props to Polyslash for making a system that does still work, but I will say, um, it is super, super confusing to learn at first, and it isn't till like, I'm at the end of Act 1 at this point, and it isn't until the ad- end of Act 1 that I feel like I have a decent handle on how to game the system. So, basically, it feels like you're shooting in the dark for a while, and at the end, you know, like, you're shooting darts at a dartboard, you're seeing with sticks, and then, finally, by the end of Act 1, you kind of know where to hit the bullseye. So, what I mean by that is, like, you learn, okay, if somebody has this emotion then usually what works best with that emotion is, you know, manipulation. Or if they have this emotion, usually aggressive works best with that emotion. Or if they have this emotion, usually humility works best with that. So it isn't until you shoot a bunch of darts at the dartboard that you start to finally figure out, okay, oh, if they have that emotion, well, if they have that emotion, I'll just use this one, because this one seems to work best. And I think it's kind of by design if that happens. I think it's by design where you're shooting darts at a dartboard for a while, until you finally realize that's how I hit the bullseye. And once you realize that this is how you hit the bullseye, it's kind of like a cool revelation. It's like, ah, so that's what I have to do to get them to do what I want. So I do understand where they're going with it, and I think it does work eventually, but I think that maybe there could have been something done to just make it feel a little bit less confusing at the start. Maybe like a better explanation, or maybe if they showed you an example and they kind of told you, okay, you know, choose this option for this one. That way you can kind of see, you know, this matches with this. So if they give you like maybe one example to kind of show you, kind of like if they basically spoon fed you a little bit at the start is what I'm saying. So I think um, it would help people a little bit more because I'm not one of these people, but I could see some people getting frustrated with this system and wanting to stop playing the game. That's not something I want because this game is amazing and I really, really enjoy this game. So I wouldn't want to see people um, get frustrated and bogged down with things like the political game board, things like the persuasion aspects of the game. Because a lot of these things, like a lot of these different mechanics in the game, they are kind of confusing at first. But if you take your time with it and you get used to it, then you have a lot of fun with it. Just you have to have the patience to actually... Um, learn the system that you're playing through. And I think that's something that some people that don't have patience, they might unfortunately put the game down and not play it. So, um, that is unfortunate. It's not something that I want to see happen. And that's kind of why I'm trying to explain my feelings on it, um, so people understand that before they go into the game plan. But honestly, 
if you just stick with it, if you just stick up the game, you will learn these systems and you will get better at them and you will start to enjoy them because the persuasion uh, and speeches part, I am starting to enjoy that now because I have a good handle on it. So another thing in the game is political intrigues and these are pretty huge. It's basically um, very huge story aspects of the game that are woven into several different parts. So these political entries, they happen over several different days. And basically their actions you have to choose. And you have to try and get success with them. So you have to get a certain amount of successes with these actions in order to pass the entry and get what you want. So like you might be trying to take down a rival. In order to successfully take down this rival, you have to get a certain amount of successes. And if you get enough successes, you actually get a bonus too. So basically it'll say like, uh, get three successes to win this entry. But if you get five, you get a bonus. And I don't exactly know what happens if you fail yet because I've only had two intrigues and I've uh, won them both. So I'm not sure what happens if you fail, but um, it seems like whatever happens if you fail is probably pretty negative. I don't know if you instantly lose the game. I would think that you wouldn't lose the game um, instantly, but you definitely don't want to fail. So, And these actions you have to take, they range from a lot of different things. Like, they range from choices of how to deal with the situation. Like, they'll give you a, a small paragraph about a situation. They'll say, this person did this. They did this. And now you have the option. You can handle this di diplomatically. You can handle this with espionage. Or you can handle this by brute force. And you have to choose, well, hmm, is handling this with force going to be the best option? Or should I handle it with diplomacy? Or should I handle it you know, with spy work? And basically, um, you choose one of those options, and then after you choose, it tells you your percentage of success. So, um, you know, it'll tell you, like, you have a 70% chance of success with this option. Or it might tell you, like, oh, you only have a 40% chance of success. It's like, ah, oh, damn. And you don't know until afterwards. So you really have to try and think it over and say, well, I, w I think this is going to be the best option. You have to think it over and, you know, kind of play through it in your head and go, well, if I choose this, what's going to happen? Is this going to be what I want to have happen here? Another thing that happens with these uh, intrigue actions is you might have to convince people to do something. And if you have enough influence, you can actually send a diplomat to automatically convince them. So you can pay like two or four influence and automatically convince someone to be on your side. But then that's great if you have the influence to do it. But a lot of times you don't have the influence to do it. So if you don't have the influence to do it, you have to go into one of these uh, persuasion type speech things where you have to try and match their emotions with uh, the approach that works best. And, you know, if you do a great job with it, great. You get them on your side. If you don't, then you get a failure. So um, that's pretty much how entries work. It's kind of like several different steps. So the step one is this action. And then you find out the next day, did I succeed or did I fail? And then you go to step two. And then you do an action. The next day you find out, did I succeed or did I fail? And that's basically how they work. It's over several days of the game, like in in-game time, that is. So, like, for example, um, Act 1 lasts 22 days. So, like, maybe, you know, maybe Day 5 you start an intrigue. This isn't actually true. You don't start one on Day 5, but I'm just saying, for example, uh, maybe Day 5 you start one, and maybe that intrigue doesn't actually end until, like, Day 10, because you have several days of different actions spanning throughout that. And if you succeed in the intrigue, you get a lot of uh, great bonuses from that. If you don't succeed, then I assume you get um, really negative bonus.
And even if you fail actions too, if you fail actions, then it actually could lead to some negative consequences for you too. So you definitely want to succeed as many actions as you can. But that's most of the other um, me mechanics of the game. There is one other thing that happened one time for me. It was towards the end of Act 1. It's basically like a war game. Um, if anyone's ever played miniature games, think of it like that, where you have like a tabletop miniature game, and you basically have like this battle against another army. Essentially, you're retelling the story of your brother and his uh, your brother and like his army mate uh, taking on this battle. And basically, you have a couple of different options. You can choose to have the troops defend. You can choose to have the troops do a frontal assault. You can choose to have them do suppressive fire. Or you can have them choose to do a neutral action. And basically, you're choosing an action versus the enemy army. And you might choose frontal assault. The enemy might choose defense. And it kind of matches up and say, okay, you know, uh, frontal assault versus defense. Well, defense wins. Or, you know, it, it's kind of like that where... Basically, it's one action versus another action, and one of the actions is a better choice versus that action, but you don't know what your opponent's going to pick, so you have to try and, you know, kind of decide what they're going to pick. Um, I will say I failed pretty miserably at this. I only made it to, like, day four or five or something like that. Um, and honestly, I don't feel like I did very well, and it's very, very confusing. It's one of those things that, like most of the little, um, mini games or mechanics in this in this overall game um when you first do it it's super confusing and i this only time i've ever done it it's only happened to one time in act one towards the end of it and i don't know if it's going to happen again in act two or three but um i think if i played a couple more times i can get used to it more and i can learn how to game it and um work it to my advantage but if it is only something that happens once in act one then I would say it probably doesn't need to be in the game. Because basically it's meant to be there to kind of tell the story of how your brother died. And honestly, if it only happens once in the game, they could just tell that story without actually having to have you do this confusing minigame. So if it is, uh, if this game does appear later in Act 2 or 3, then fine, I take back what I said. You know, it's like everything else in the game where the more you do it, the more you get used to it. But if this does only happen once in the game period, then I would say it probably shouldn't be in the game because it makes the game makes it feel really out of place and like that late in the game at the very end of Act One, pretty much that you see this and that late in the game, you know, having something completely new that um, might only happen once in the entire game's history, it feels really weird and it doesn't feel like it makes a lot of sense in the game. So. You know, basically, if it's a one-time thing, I would say um, it should not be in the game. But if it's a thing that happens more than once, then definitely um, leave it in the game as something you just get used to, I guess. But that's pretty much it for you know the mechanics and the overview of the game. So that's kind of what We the Revolution is. Um, before we get into our spoiler-filled section, if you are averse to the spoilers of this game and you don't want to find out um, some of the storyline elements that happen, in Act 1, then, um, you know, you should probably head out of the podcast here and then come back after you play Act 1 and listen to kind of what the storyline is. So I will um, say that if you are heading out now, then if you want to get in contact with me after the podcast, then um, you can do so via email, theblazeexperience at gmail.com, 
or you could contact me on Discord, which will be in the show notes, or you can contact me on Twitter or my gamer tag, which is at Blaze Experience. That's B-L-A-I-S-E-X-P-E-R-I-N-C-E. So that is how you can contact me if you are heading out now. So, you know, I definitely um don't blame you if you don't want to have the spoilers happen for you. If this is a game that it sounds like something you want to play, I would definitely recommend, you know, going out and getting it. And uh, the game is $20, I believe. So, you know, go out and get the game and play through Act 1 yourself. You don't want the spoilers of the story. Um, and I definitely won't be offended at all if you don't, you know, listen to the spoiler section. You know, I completely understand if you want to play through it yourself first. But if you are here and you're going to stay along for the spoiler section, then I appreciate that as well. And um, we're going to kind of get into that. So this is your last warning, you know, five seconds here. And get out now if you don't want to be spoiled on the story of Act 1. So five, four, three, two, one. All right. So basically the game starts with um, a trial over your son who got in a fight with a boy. And basically you find out early in the game that you are a drunk um and your wife is not that happy with you because, you know, you drink a lot. You just go out drinking with your friends and um, you don't seem to be that great of a person at the start of the game. And your son got in a fight with another boy because he was trying to defend your father, your honor. So I guess they were talking about you and they're saying that you were drunk and your son was kind of trying to have a fight with them about it. So that's kind of where this game starts. You soon preside over the trials of some famous figures, King Louis XVI and Marie Antoinette. And in my version of the game, I ended up beheading both of them. Um, you could always try to acquit them and stuff like that too, but I ended up beheading both of them. And then after that, you basically start taking out your political rivals. So um, the first rival you encounter is Matthew Burrell. He's uh, the captain of the guard and basically... I ended up beheading this guy, but um, essentially you give an order that he's allowed to use guns, and by giving that order, well, this is what happened in my game anyways. There's two different choices. There's one where you allow him to use guns, one where you don't allow him to, but in my version, I allowed him to use guns to, um, you know, control a riot. Like, I allowed him to take weapons with him. I didn't think he'd actually use them on the crowd. He ended up using them on the crowd and killing 34 people. And basically for that, I beheaded him. So um, that was my first rival down. But the next one on my list was this guy named Roland. And Roland's wife actually tried to murder me. Um, I got pretty badly wounded. And basically, you have a choice that you can either try to go after the wife and take down the wife and, you know, um, put her to justice. Or you could uh, take out Roland who is your political rival. I ended up choosing to take out the uh, male, the husband of Roland, that was my political rival, because I figured taking out my rival would help me advance in the game better. It did leave his wife out there who tried to kill me, but I felt like I could always uh, deal with her later on. And so far, I haven't seen her come up again. Um, and then basically, you kind of move along your hit list, and you know we're kind of going fast through this, but you know it's um, kind of... We basically went over most of the game already. It's just kind of going through these quick spoilers. So, um, The next rival you take down is the mayor of Paris, Pache, or uh, as I called him during the stream, I, I wanted to be kind of, you know, funny about it. I called him Pache, so I figured it was kind of a fun way to say his name. But, um, 
basically you find out that this Pache guy, he actually um, helped Roland's wife try to murder you. And he claims later on when he's confronted about it that basically when he knows that you know that he um, was involved, he basically tries to cover it up by saying, oh no, someone made me do it. They made me do it. Which, you know, is complete bullshit. <laughs> um, basically, you start out by trying to take him down by changing public opinion on him. You find out that his daughter is having a lesbian affair with a, a prostitute. And basically, you try to expose that information. And then by trying to expose that information, the uh, prostitute, you have to try and convince her to, you know, turn on the mayor's daughter. And I ended up having to do so by torturing her, unfortunately, because I couldn't convince her the normal way. So I had the torture to do it. But eventually she signed a document kind of implicating the daughter. She then goes to try and blackmail the daughter. And of course, this could play out differently, too. I want to mention, make sure that's um, you know mentioned here. This could play out differently depending on your choices. This is how it played out with my choices, basically. So um, the prostitute goes to see the mayor's daughter at their usual hiding spot, and she tries to blackmail the mayor's daughter. The mayor's daughter doesn't want to be blackmailed, and she ends up killing the prostitute in full blood. And then I go there and I find her there, you know, that she killed the prostitute, and then we kind of go to the trial of Pache, or Pache, and... Basically, you have enough evidence after you beat the intrigue for him. You have enough evidence to go after him. You actually um, kind of swindle him. You basically make him... You have to convince Danton, who is uh, his ally, to work against him, which um, I ended up doing. And then, basically, you have to go to Apache and act like you're his friend. And like, oh my god, Danton betrayed you. I'm so sorry. You have to act like you're his friend and get him to trust you a little bit more. Then he'll give you the information that you need to kind of move on later in the team and take out the other rebels. But then basically you double cross him and he ends up in your court and you end up, you know, having a trial with him and kind of going after him. But in the middle of the trial, you get the biggest shocker of act one of the entire game. Um, someone you find out actually murders your innocent. And basically you walk out of the courtroom because people are like, you have to come see, quick, judge, come quick, see. And you find your son hanging in, hanging somewhere in the street, dead. And someone has murdered your younger son. And that is such a powerful moment. It's like, oh my gosh. Like, I remember, like, I it really got to me. I'm like, oh shoot, I, I'm, I'm going to pay. You know, whoever did this, they're paying. They are going down and I'm going to destroy them. But I don't yet know who did it. Um, I suspect that it was either... Danton or someone named Gobel. Those are kind of political rivals, um, higher in the pecking order than me right now. I think one of them had something to do with it. And basically, my son was hung with the Meshans. Um, I forget exactly what it said, but it's something like, uh, we must pay for the sins of our fathers. Basically, implying that whoever killed my son, they killed him because of something I did. And that is really messed up, so. Because somebody went after my son, and then I go back into the trial of Apache, and I basically blame him for him. Like, you asshole, you killed my son. Like, Apache denies it. He says, like, he was in prison the whole time. Which, honestly, I don't think Apache really has something to do with killing my son. But 
Um, the guy already deserved to die anyway, so I'd be like, screw it, this guy's dying, I'll just be at him. And then basically I go home with the rest of my family, my wife, my older son, and my father, and they're all obviously upset, and um, they find out that I'm having a trial the next day for the mayor's daughter, who um, had that lesbian affair, and basically my family's like, you have to kill them, you, you have to, you know, send her the guillotine. And I'm like, and my character, the judge, he's like, well, I don't really want to. I mean, like, you know, she's not she's not involved with this at all. She had nothing to do with, you know, trying to murder me. She had nothing to do with trying to murder our son. Like, she's not involved in this at all. And my family doesn't care. They're like, no, she has to pay. Like, you know, we lost our son. She has to go. And I'm like, dang, this is pretty dark. So then I go to the trial with her and like, this is the character that I mentioned earlier in the podcast that um, I really didn't want to kill because I definitely understand her plight, you know? I mean, like, first off, you know, she's being persecuted because she's a lesbian, which is completely messed up, which obviously in that time, I get it because um, in that time frame, you know, this is like very uh, early days, you know, a lot of people back then were prosecuted for um, being a lesbian or gay and you know their sexual orientation and that is definitely messed up but i definitely understand that why it's in the game it's in the game because you know this was the political landscape at the time like this was how people were treated at the time and you know so there's not only that like i feel bad because she's being you know prosecuted partially for that and the other thing she's being prosecuted for is murdering this prostitute but also with that i sympathize with her because she only murdered this girl because she was trying to blackmail her. So, like, I definitely understand that because she was trying to blackmail her and, you know, ruin her reputation. She was trying to extort her for money. And, like, I definitely get it. I mean, yes, was it wrong to murder her? Technically, yes. But, like, I definitely understand why she did it. So that was the hardest one for me to actually kill. And I ended up sending her to the guillotine because I needed the relations with the other factions. But I felt really bad about doing it because she didn't deserve that. You know, she's basically being prosecuted for her sexual orientation and for murdering someone who was trying to extort blackmail. Like, to me, I wanted to set her free. Like, to me, she didn't deserve to be executed. And I wish I could have set her free. But if I would have set her free, it would have made the rest of the game hard for me because it would have set my relations with the other uh, factions lower than I wanted I would have had to do a lot of climbing back up. Technically, could I climb back up in the game? Probably, but I didn't want to chance it. And that's what makes the game tough, too, is like, I didn't want to take that risk because when I, if I could just send her the guillotine, then I have very little risk involved and I actually gain some political advantage. It feels wrong to even say that because like, it's like, oh man, like this, this doesn't feel right, but like, it really puts you in that mindset of like how this was for you know a judge like uh, Alexis Fidel who was us. Like it really puts you in the mindset of that like in the French Revolution because that's how it was in the French Revolution where people were doing stuff just for their own gain. You know, I didn't want to lose the game just because I saved this girl, which maybe I should have. You know, maybe I should have saved her anyways, but I didn't want to go down a path where I lost because if I saved her then i would be you know a couple stones throw away from actually losing the game and 
I didn't want to be, you know, that close to losing the game because of it. So I, I still feel bad about it, but you know, I don't know. It is what it is, I guess. But um, so that's kind of where it leads to the end of Act One. You know, so end of Act One, our youngest son is dead. Um, and we have to, we're, you know, going forward into Act Two. We're, you know, hopefully going to find out who actually was behind it and take that person down. I personally believe it was Danton or Gobel. I don't have any evidence for that yet, but that's who I believe it was right now. So, you know, you'll hear in Act Two if one of the, po- I did the podcast for Act Two, you'll uh, hear if I was correct or not. But, um, that's kind of what my feeling is at the moment. So. And, you know, this game is really awesome, honestly. Like, I love everything about this game. This game is 100% my game of the year so far for 2019. Now, granted, I'm saying that, and I haven't played, uh, like, Borderlands 3, for example. Borderlands 3 is probably the only game that could possibly um, take that title away. So, you know, depending on how much I like Borderlands 3, We the Revolution is either going to be my favorite game of the year or my second favorite, probably, because... Honestly, Borderlands 3 is the only game uh, coming the rest of this year that I think I could like more than this. Uh, I I know there's a lot of games still coming this year, but I don't think any of those games are going to like more than this. I, I like this game that much, but Borderlands 3 does have a chance to um, top this game for me as my personal game of the year. But, uh, we'll we'll kind of see. You know, Borderlands 3 comes out pretty soon, so we'll, we'll see how I enjoy that. Um, you know, We the Revolution is an amazing game. Definitely go out and buy it. It's on Xbox, PC. I'm not sure if it's on PS4. I'm honestly not sure on that one, but I know it's on PC. I know it's on Xbox. So um, go out and buy it. It's $20. It's definitely not you know, that expensive of a price. And the game is awesome. You know, it helps support uh, small developers like this. You know, Holly Slash is a pretty small developer. It's, you know, um, a very small studio. I forget the numbers, but I think it's like less than 20 people. So they're a very small studio. Um, Clubator, their publisher, I believe they're, in terms of publishers, I think they're fairly small for publisher as well. So, um, you know, go support them and, uh, you know, support this game. It's a great game. I would definitely, definitely recommend it. So, um, that's pretty much all I have to say about it. So, you know, hopefully we find out who killed our son and, you know, hopefully we, um, get justice and we take down all of our rivals and become the, you know, big leader of France. So. But that being said, um, just going over some of our news items one more time. Our next podcast is likely to be on Dead by Daylight for next Saturday. I'm also trying to uh, get a recap of Undead Trials 4 from the State of Decay competition. I'm trying to get a recap of that going. It's just been hard to schedule some people for that. So I'm trying to um, maybe schedule some different people instead or something. So, um, But I will have a recap of Undead Trials 4 at some point. I'm hoping sometime soon. Our next stream is going to be uh, Sunday, tomorrow, at 12 to 4 Eastern. We're going to play some Borderlands 2, the Captain Scarlet DLC. And I'm also going to reveal who I'm playing for Borderlands 3. So um, that'll be exciting. Definitely look out for that. And I'll also be opening applications, too. I want to mention that, that for my uh, team on Borderlands 3, I'm going to be doing it. Sunday's going to be Borderlands Day. So uh, once Borderlands 3 comes out, every Sunday, 12 to 4, is going to be Borderlands 3 Day. And... I'm looking for a permanent team to play with. Um, the main requirements I'll be requiring is you must have the Xbox version because that's where I'll be playing is Xbox. The other main requirement is, well, that you actually show up. You know, you have to be counted on to actually show up every week. So um, 
you have to be counted on for that. But and then beyond that, the only other requirement is that everyone in our party has to play a different character. Um, Zombie Killer Ma, he's already you know grandfathered into joining me in this, and he has chosen Amara. I let him have first pick, so he will be playing Amara. I will be playing one of the other three characters, and then the other two characters I don't pick, those will be up for grabs. So, um, following tomorrow's stream, I'll be opening up applications. If you want to apply to play one of the two characters I don't pick, then let me know, and I would definitely be happy to, uh, you know, potentially have you on the team. Obviously, there's only two spots, so I don't know how many people are going to be interested, but um, if you are interested, let me know after tomorrow's stream, and... You know, I will pick uh, two people to be on our permanent team. And this isn't to say that Borderlands 3 will only be streamed on Sundays. I will do, definitely do other streams of it too. Like, I might stream it on Mondays. I might stream some night streams of it too. But um, I'm guaranteeing that Sundays will be Borderlands every week. Just like Tuesdays will be State of Decay every week. And then Mondays and my night stream will kind of uh, vary a lot. So basically, the Monday stream and our night stream every week will be where we have like a lot of uh, variety. Sometimes it'll be extra stream of State of Decay. Sometimes it'll be extra stream of Borderlands. But we do have one day locked in for Borderlands and one day locked in for State of Decay. Uh, I will also say that Monday I'm going to be playing some Metro Exodus. That's our Game Pass game of the month. That's going to be 12 to 4 Eastern. And Tuesday I'm going to be playing Daybreak in State of Decay 2. That's going to be 12 to 4 Eastern. And then our night stream for the week is actually going to be Friday nights. So, on Friday night, we're going to be having what I'm calling uh, like a Fright Night. We're going to be playing Dark Pictures Anthology, Man and Madame. This is a horror game that's coming out that day. It's coming out uh, that Friday. And it's basically a story-based game where you can play it with one friend if you want to. And I'm trying to get a friend to set up to play it with. But um, basically, you have five characters in this story. It's a horror story. And all of your characters can die or all of your characters can live based on your choices. So... It's kind of like a, um, it seems like a more advanced version of a Telltale game. If uh, anyone played Until Dawn, it's from the same people that made Until Dawn, so it's uh, a lot like Until Dawn, but it's uh, a different horror story. So well, I think that should be a lot of fun, and I'm probably going to be doing an extended stream that night. Um, instead of four hours, I'll probably be doing six or eight hours that night to play through one full playthrough, because uh, one full playthrough of the game takes like six or eight hours. And then you can keep, you know, playing it over and over if you want to get, like, different stories involved. But, um, I'll probably, I'm going to try to do one whole play through that thing. So, so you know, it's going to be, um, Sunday, Borderlands 2, Monday, Metro Exodus, Tuesday, Daybreak, State of Decay 2. That's 12 to 4 Eastern for all that. And then Friday, the time that I start at is to be determined. But, you know, think of something like, um, 5 or 6 p.m. to, like, 11 or 12 a.m. Something along those, that range is what I'm thinking. So um, we'll find out, you know, more on that, more when we get closer to that, but I will let everyone know. Uh, if you aren't already a Patreon member, I would definitely appreciate you becoming a Patreon member. Patreon is a way to help support content creators for the content they make. So if you support me on Patreon for as little as $1 a month, then you can get some exclusive rewards like shoutouts on the podcast. You can get uh, special access to special discord only chats you uh i request your opinion a lot more on things you know like uh, when i'm choosing games to stream things like that so you have a lot of those rewards you get a patron only podcast every month and in order to do that you go to p-a-t-r-e-o-n 
patreon.com slash E-L-A-I-S-E-X-P-E-R-I-E-N-C-E. That's patreon.com slash experience. If you uh, don't want to become a Patreon member on a monthly thing, you can do some one-time purchases by uh, visiting my new merch store. I just made a merch store, and it was just launched this week. So in order to go to my merch store, you can go to teespring.com slash stores slash blaze experience. That's T-E-E-S-P-R-I-N-G dot com slash stores slash B-L-A-I-S-E X-P-E-R-I-E-N-C-E. So at teespring.com slash stores slash blaze experience, what you can find is t-shirts, pillows, stickers, uh, there's some leggings in there. A lot of different things, you know, go check it out and um, see what you like. You know, there's mugs, a bunch of different items. So check it out and see if there's anything there you want to buy. But I do appreciate everyone being here. If you want to get a hold of me, then you can do so via email, theblazeexperience at gmail.com. You can do so via Twitter or my gamer tag. That's at blazeexperience. It's capital B-L-A-I-S-E, capital X-P-E-R-I-E-N-C-E. You can do so via Discord, which will be in the show notes. Uh, you can also do so via YouTube or Facebook. I do get back to those comments eventually, but um, I am pretty slow at getting back to YouTube comments, I will say. Um, it's easier to reach me via Discord or uh, Twitter DMs or you know Twitter messages. So those are probably the fastest ways to reach me. Or uh, email works perfectly fine, too. I check my email every day as well. But I do thank you all for being here. If you uh, want to find a different way to listen to the podcast than the way you already listened to it, then you can do so via Stitcher, we're on Spotify, we're on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Radio Public, and many of the directories. So basically, if you just type in the Blaze Experience into your search bar, you will find us somewhere. So whatever app you use, just type in Blaze Experience and you will find us. But I do thank you all for being here. It's a lot of fun to come back and do this episode. You know, We the Revolution is a great game, and hopefully you guys enjoyed uh, the Act 1 podcast of it. So, uh, thank you everyone for being here, and thank you once again for listening to the Blaze Experience. <laughs>